Visit audiblepodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook download. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. Oh my goodness, what a jam-packed, huge, incredible episode we have here for you of Rebels Declassified here at Rebel Force Radio. Uh, we're going to be talking about not one, but two episodes. we got to play a little catch-up. So we're going to be talking about... A Princess on Lothal, Episode 10 here at Season 2, and uh, The Protector of Concord Dawn, Episode 11. In addition to that, we have a guest coming up. Julie Dolan, the voice of Princess Leia in Star Wars Rebels. So exciting stuff. So you're tuned to the right place for all that and a whole lot more. But I can't do it alone. Oh, no. No, I brought reinforcements. Deck officer! All the way from Chicago, my good friend and yours, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Good to be back. This is our first episode of Star Wars Rebels Declassified for the new year for 2016, kicking off uh, season two. Uh, And like you said, Jason, playing a little bit of a catch up. We're taking the week off from the Rebel Force Radio flagship show to bring you this really amazing episode of Star Wars Rebels Declassified. Two episodes we're talking about. We're also talking about a trailer, and we got a great guest coming up. But, you know, it wouldn't be a roundtable if we didn't have at least one other person joining us. Jason. Yeah, we have to have. And in, in, in fact, uh, no one else was available. So <laughs> we... Jeez. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. We've been trying to get him on for a while. Um, yeah, he's very yeah. busy. He's very in demand. He's... He's 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 uh, can I'm we being talk poached about by a lot of podcasts? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> don't we know it? That they all want it. you to be their intern. We have yeah. Tyler, the intern, Tyler Westhouse joining us. Thanks yeah. for Tyler, having the me. intern. We got him. We got him for the whole show, folks. Yep. No, we're not. Nothing we're not rotating do. guests. No, not for this doubleheader. We've got a him. Lot of, of course, a lot of people listening will recognize Tyler as the guy who runs our official Facebook group. Join the Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. I'm there. Jimmy's there. It is a lot of fun. It's some great discussion, and it really brings back the vibe of the old days in the forums. 
And uh, what I love about it is just a very positive vibe going on there. There's not many trolls, not many flamers. It's just people enjoying Star Wars. That is true. Yes. (laughs) And you're keeping them all in check. Yes. Tyler's like the sheriff. Yeah, right, right. The Constable Zuvio of... Great. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you better be careful or you're going to end up on the cutting room floor. He's, he's the Rick Oli of uh, no, um, no, Tyler. No, seriously, it's great to have you with us. And I know you are just chomping at the bit. You have been for some time to talk about this season two trailer. Uh, and there's so much. Yeah, this is more than a trailer. I mean, this is three and a half minutes. This has got to be one of the longest trailers I've ever seen for anything. For sure. And uh, you know, it was interesting before it was released. Dave Filoni himself took to the Twitter and warned people that this trailer he considered to be spoiler heavy. So when it comes from the guy who actually is a co-creator of the show and who's been with Star Wars animation as long as Dave has, someone who's been mentored at the feet of George Lucas back in the uh, Clone Wars days, and he's warning you that the trailer they're going to release is spoiler heavy. Well, then you know it's going to be filled with awesome stuff. Well, it great was, stuff, I mean, yeah. It did not fail to amaze. But the question is, is it too spoilerific? Well, can I, can I, I, want, to, I want to bring this up because, you know, it was not uncommon for, and, and there are a number of TV shows that still do that, but, but Jim, when we were kids, when we were growing up, it was a common thing to see, you know, next week on show such and such yeah and they would show you clips i never considered that spoilers it's a preview how is every how is it a how is it a spoiler to me a spoiler is when someone has seen something in advance that no one else has seen or that's not readily available and then they spoil it for you and they give you a big reveal i mean trailers are now pre uh, 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 of spoilers what's going on well, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I, I think sometimes too much gets revealed. And I think as we start breaking down this trailer, I mean, there are some big reveals, especially character reveals, yeah. you know, characters who have never been on the show before mm-hmm. in the flesh. And there they are in the pixel. Well, well, let's get into it, because it's the thing that stands out the most to me about mm. this trailer is it's very Ahsoka heavy and it even goes there. It brings you up to the reunion or at least what appears to be the reunion of Ahsoka and Darth Vader. Not only is it, is it Ahsoka heavy, but I feel that it, it, it has a clone wars vibe to me from the holocron t- that you see to the Jedi temple it feels very uh it feels like those kind of darker clone wars episodes uh tyler what do you think uh it definitely has a lot of clone wars influences in it you see the return of darth maul as the old master you have kanan in the jedi temple dojo looking place and uh he's being approached by what look to be jedi temple guards without the hoods uh there's there's a lot of clone wars references in it and it makes me very very excited <laughs> Yeah, as Jim mentioned, you know, Vader with the Inquisitors, so they're certainly not giving up on, you know, giving us a little bit of Vader here and there. Obviously, still voiced by the great uh, James Earl Jones. Um, you know, their mandate was to hunt down the the uh, children of the Force, as Vader called them. And Ezra seems to be, I guess he would be 
public enemy number one up until we realize that Vader knows that the apprentice lives. Jim, do you think that that is going to be the new mandate for the uh, for the Inquisitors? Is no, no. after Ahsoka? Or are they still after Ezra? Is that their primary target? <sighs> Was Ezra ever their primary target? Well, as uh, Kanan says in the trailer, they're everywhere we go. These guys show up. Yeah, that is true, isn't it? Isn't it? So it does appear that they definitely are drawing a bead on Kanan and Ezra. At least that's you know. That's the big catch for them, it appears, I guess. I think I because think... it's the, the the master and the apprentice, right? Isn't that maybe why that's such a priority? Yeah, and of course, you know, and, and Ezra represents the future. He's so young. Uh, he would qualify as one of those children of the Force. They also took out the Grand Inquisitor, which puts them at the top of the most wanted list. Yeah, yeah that's the, a big oh, no-no, I'm sure, right? That's <laughs> there you That'll go. put you on the... <laughs> Good call, good right. call. But I, I don't think that Vader is is passing down the edict that the Inquisitors should go out and hunt Ahsoka. I think he wants that for himself. Mm. I don't think he's he's passing a buck on that one. And as we see in this trailer, there is a confrontation. Now, of course, hard to make out from the trailer because you don't know if maybe she's just having a force vision <laughs> or if it, it's, it's actually happening in reality when she does face down with Vader. But it does appear to be the Dark Lord versus the former apprentice in the flesh, and uh, sabers are drawn, and that's what we all want to see. That's the, the 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 trajectory of this series has to go into that direction, and it appeared on some of the material we saw going back to Star Wars Celebration. There was posters featuring Vader facing off against Ahsoka that, you know, official posters from Lucasfilm. So, so it's the real deal. It's going to happen. And according to Filoni, it's going to happen this season. This isn't something that's just going to drag along forever and ever. And then we don't get the resolution. This is something that's going to happen swift and fast. Well, speaking of, of, of force vision, you know, there is that moment in the trailer where uh, Ahsoka seems to be hearing the voice of her former master, uh, yes. Do you know what I've become? Why did you leave? Uh, do we think that that is when, you know, when Vader reaches out, this is kind of deep, when Vader reaches out into the Force, is that what he sounds like? Or is that a vision? Is that a dream? Do we think that that could be what she's actually hearing? Because when he does reach out with the Force, it's still the voice of Anakin Skywalker? Could be a trick. What do you think? Well, I believe there's a scene in Return of the Jedi where Vader reaches out to Luke and it's James Earl Jones's voice. You don't hear Matt Lanter or Hayden Christensen, younger Anakin Skywalker. So yeah, I, think but it, I think it's just a dark side vision. I don't think course, he's actually reaching out. Luke wouldn't recognize the voice of Anakin, whereas Ahsoka would. So if you're trying to use a dark side trick on her and maybe somehow project that voice. Use a familiar voice to her. To lure her in. To think, uh-huh. to think, oh, my master's still alive. And then she finds out he is, but he's something entirely different. That could be because, of course, the Sith Lords work that way. You know, they, they work by, by tricking you and, and pulling the wool over your eyes. And then when you realize the truth, it's too late. Well, when Vader reached out to Ahsoka in the premiere when he said the apprentice lives, do you think she actually heard him say the apprentice no. lives? I don't no. think, though. So. I don't think they were communing there. She in felt something familiar, a tremor in the force that felt familiar. 
mm-hmm. but she couldn't put her finger on it. She really couldn't. And and the state of the, the series right now, Ahsoka is still searching for the truth. Is that tremor and the force she felt? Is that legitimately Anakin Skywalker? Is this guy, this this Dark Lord, could this possibly be Anakin Skywalker? You would imagine without having the facts, it would be really difficult to connect the dots that way. So she's just working off of her her natural abilities to use the force and, and by tapping into it. Well, let's let's go back to some of the visuals that we see. We see a uh, a Jedi temple, and Tyler, you pointed out that we see some temple guards in that in that dojo. And you 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 mentioned that that's something that we've seen in Clone Wars. I don't remember there being kind of a dojo style uh, training facility. Have we no, it wasn't the that? it wasn't the Clone Wars I was referencing. I was oh. I was referencing an old video game. It looks very similar to a Jedi dojo on Dantooine in the video game Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, when I saw that, I thought right away, oh, that looks like the dojo from Knights of the Old Republic. And there's a lot of other things in the trailers that are reminiscent of Knights of the Old Republic that KOTOR. made me more excited. And you can tell there's fans working on the show, fans of KOTOR, because those hammerhead ships in the uh, Princess Leia episode mm-hmm. were directly It was actually lifted. mentioned on Rebels Recon yeah, that there's yeah. a ton of fans of the video game who work on the show, so whenever they get the chance to put in a little bit of a hint to KOTOR, they try to. Which See, now makes that, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you and tell you that that dojo um, felt just a little bit too real-world derivative for me. I, I, I was joking with Tyler off the air, and I said, you know, I expected Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes to jump out at any moment. <laughs> uh, it, so it just felt like, you know, maybe it was just a little too close. I mean, I love, obviously, the, you know, the Asian culture and the influence and all of that and its impact on Star Wars. But that, you know, with the slats and everything, it just, it just looked very... Uh, real world to me but 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 still interesting especially when you think of these jedi temples now i gotta tell you i mean nothing has cemented uh this into my consciousness like what we know of luke in the force awakens when he's gone and uh you know been on some sort of mission to find the first jedi temple so these jedi temples are now uh very very relevant to not just the past, but the future of Star Wars. I was really surprised to hear the mention of the Jedi Temple in The Force Awakens, to be honest with you, especially coming out of Han Solo's mouth. Oh, he said all kinds of stuff that I never <laughs> thought I would hear him say. <laughs> For sure. But, it, you know, the, the concept of a Jedi Temple, of course, that's established in the prequels mm-hmm. with the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. And now we learn that, you know, in season one of Rebels, of course, Ezra found one on Lothal. And uh, we understand that they are uh, just all over the galaxy. So, uh, oh, they're like Starbucks. I mean, they're just yeah, every corner. Kind of like that. Kind of like the another Jedi <laughs> Temple. That's like but, the first one. You got to go to Seattle. But they're but they're they're not still active. So it's more like uh, you know when you stumble across that old photo mat <laughs> that hasn't been occupied in thirty years. It's like oh my god, a photo mat. <laughs> oh, that's what people say when they're passing the Jedi Temple. Look, kids. This is the old Jedi Temple. All right, so uh, we've got a, a new Inquisitor. This is interesting. So this um, there's a shot of a standoff between Ezra, Ahsoka, and Kanan, and three Inquisitors, and that's not the Grand Inquisitor. He's quite dead. Uh, so the, any speculation as to who, who this might be? Is he the, 
the sixth brother, the 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 third brother, the eighth sister, third cousin, third cousin, <laughs> twice removed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, any any thoughts of who who this guy is? Well, you can definitely tell it's an alien of some kind because if you if you pause it at the right time, you can see. I think he has about two or three toes and four fingers. And oh, really, I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a. Uh, I can't think of any species that would resemble his body. Like oh, yeah. Thing. I'm looking at this now. There is a shot of him on uh, on Wikipedia. And yes, he does have some uh, funky looking feet. His helmet also looks very similar to some of the concept art for The Force Awakens. That was yeah. in the book that just came out. Yeah. He looks kind of like a Knight of Ren sort of. Yeah, good call I, I on know, that. I don't know if, if that's what you're thinking. I'm just seeing that from the helmet. I but... think it was the Knights of Ren concept art that I'm thinking. Yeah. I ran through that book really quickly when I got it. <laughs> Oh, great book! Great book. Um, so, yeah, if you're if you're waiting for the the making of the Force Awakens book, um, In October, yeah, which will be out for a while, uh, definitely pick up the art uh, the art book. It's it's phenomenal. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we have another Inquisitor. I guess that's to try to even things out a little bit as as Ezra's getting uh, more powerful, uh, and you have Ahsoka in there. So three on three, that seems fair. So they got that guy. Um, now, this is interesting. So we see Yoda. Now, we've heard Yoda, voiced by Frank Oz, but now we're seeing Yoda. And just in our own sort of little Rebel Force Radio family, there's been some discussion about the character model, and I'm kind of on the side of it looks weird to me. It looks very weird to me. It looks like Yoda, but it doesn't at the same time. It's None of the features really like stand out to me yeah i just Yoda, don't not some other yoda species you know I, I i think about the way and i've i gotta be honest with you i i love the look of animated yoda going back to the gendy series uh clone wars and then it, they the, the changes that they made for uh the clone wars uh, i love animated yoda and so i'm certainly not you know opposed to seeing him in animated form and i'm quite used to it but this one seems really, really weird to me. It's like it's almost like he's kind of got like the Lego Yoda head a little <laughs> bit. And uh, it, he looks more like Lego Yoda for me than he does like a Clone Wars Yoda or a Gendy Yoda. Jim, you're being kind of quiet. What did you what do you think about the way Yoda, Yoda looks? I mean, he sounds fantastic, obviously, but there's an element about him that makes him almost look too human. Hmm. I don't you know, he doesn't. Yoda always seemed to be semi reptilian to me. He lacks that quality here. He just seems like an old dude. We've seen so little of this model. And I've said this before. I hate to jump to conclusions because I didn't like the bug eyed Yoda that was introduced in the Clone Wars series. I I thought it was it was a little off putting. I thought he looked too too reptilian. Hmm, um, okay. you know, I'm like, you know, this is like Goldilocks and the three bears here. You but know? did you get used to it? I, I think I did. I think yeah. I did, and I think I did really quickly too, because I know by that first episode. I believe it was called Ambush. The very first episode of uh, the Clone right. Wars series proper featured Yoda, and by that point, I was I was fully accepting the model. Um, but I, I had my reservations about it going in, and uh, it's it's a little different. Um, there's just there's just little inconsistencies with the look of this Yoda 
to me. I think his eyes are too small. I think his hands are too big. I think his ears are too small. I think his hair is too thick. He's rocking I think, some sweet sideburns. Though. I think his clothes. He does got the sweet sideburns. How I'm digging that. <laughs> well, you know, it's going back to the 70s. But, um, <laughs> and it appears that his robe is made of sandpaper. And so it just, <laughs> it, it, there, there's all of these elements that are saying to me, it's not Yoda. And then I look at it and I say, well, it, it is Yoda. I mean, I'm sure I'll come to accept it. You know what it looks like to me? It looks like a rough animatic. Like that they would have, like this would have stood in, you know, when they were working on episode two or something. Like this would have stood in for the, you know, we're going to layer in the real one. But this one is just what we're using temporarily. And I, and I, look, I know there's a ton of work that goes into this and I can barely draw a stick figure. So I, I'm not, I'm not being critical in terms of the, you know, the skill that goes into this, but uh, just, you know, it's not it's not jumping out at me. But really what matters is what is Yoda doing? What is he saying? It's Frank Oz. And I love this quote. It's the only quote that we hear from him. How did I choose to win? The question is off the bat, Tyler, I'm thinking to myself of, you know, when last we see Yoda in action, he has that battle with Palpatine. Is that what he could be talking about? Did he choose to win by retreating? I, I don't really think that he chose to win at all. I think he was trying to save his butt. I'm not really sure what he's talking about when he says, I choose to win. Oh. Uh, it, it, he might be Meant referencing his, it, I did. <laughs> he might be referencing the long con of waiting for Luke Skywalker to come ah, and save him. Right. Yeah, there but you go. Right. Besides right. that, I can't really, unless there's some plot point that's going to be introduced later on. Maybe you'll actually see Yoda physically as opposed to just in a vision to Ezra in the middle of space. Right. How did I choose to win, Jim? What do you take? Is that is he talking about the 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 waiting game that he's playing right now, waiting for Luke to get older? But why would he be appearing to Ezra and like spoiling it for Ezra? Say, hey, well, why why aren't you waiting for me? I well, got that's four cards. True, yeah, distraction. You are <laughs> <laughs> killing time. <you> <laughs> So, uh, boy, uh, Jason, really uh, taking that quote out of context, sure. uh, man, I, I really am having a hard time convincing myself of any sort of direction to to put that that quote into. So, uh, I, for the first time ever, I'm going to take a wait and see on yeah, this one. I'm not, even gonna, I'm not even going to speculate um, I, because uh, last we saw of Yoda. He was not winning anything. Yeah. So unless uh, he won the Dagobah County Fair for best root leaf stew, <laughs> I don't see too many victories. <laughs> I don't see too many trophies. Blue ribbon. Trophies. Is that a blue ribbon I'm seeing on there? <laughs> Yoda versus the snake. <laughs> oh, that's your new warm up. Your new warm up. All right. Let's let's talk about. Um, the the dark side pulling at at Ezra. Here's some you know, another quote that we see. I mean, we we actually see him admiring a hologram of Anakin Skywalker sporting a really nifty new blue jacket, um, and he's like, "Wow, he's amazing! Uh, you should have seen him in person," uh, says Ahsoka. And then the next time, next thing you know, the the one of the uh, temple guards is saying that the dark side is calling to him, pulls at him. Is this something that that we we have to assume or we should assume is you know the dark side pulling is is it does it have to do with the fact that he's not fully trained and that any force sensitive 
that is not fully trained is is vulnerable to the dark side? Or is there something about Ezra, like there was something about Anakin, like there was something about Luke, that the dark side is is calling to him? Well, you know, the dark side has to be a lure for any force user because it's quicker, easier, more seductive. And who doesn't want quicker and easier in their lives? Um so you have to think that that is, is something that is a hurdle for any Force user, any Jedi. Um, the fact that Ezra was older when he began his training, much like Anakin was older, maybe they feel in the traditional ways of Force training that he's already been corrupted and can't be trained as a pure Jedi because he has too much uh, attachment. He has too much emotion. That that's where I stand on on you know the the similarities between Ezra, Anakin, and or Luke. All of them were just above that age. Mm. Mace Windu would be like, oh no, oh no, it, it ain't happening because they're too old. That seems to be like hmm. a theme that keeps coming up. At least right. in the prequel era, it, it definitely kept coming up. Right. And well, and in the original trilogy, Yoda himself said Luke was too old. So no. maybe maybe it's just when when you're at that point, it, you know, the lure of the dark side is, is so great that you're almost beyond training as a Jedi, even though your force sensitivity might be so strong. Kanan has to take Ezra on. Yoda has to take Luke on because they're the only ones. Well, it seems like it has a lot to do with with the the student's patience, right? Because I think when you're when you're very, very young, you are content to learn slowly over time. But when you're older, you have the sensibility, you have the sense to know that you should be or could be or might be faster, better. Well, you've already, you. been, you've yeah. already been conditioned. Yeah, you, exactly. Right. You, you have baggage. You have you, baggage. You, you know. Baggage. Right, right, right. So uh, it might be just part and parcel to the age and, and being, you know, not, uh, uh, trained as a Jedi from the cradle. Um, but, but one thing that I believe we see, I mean, obviously we see Darth Maul. You seek knowledge. Call me old master. Old master as he's calling himself. Uh, but do we see Ezra bowing? To the old master, Darth Maul? I think it's in the same sequence. It, it looks like it, he is bowing to Darth Maul because you don't see any other characters in the trailer with a hood up. And right. Old master Darth Maul is the only one who has the hood up. And it sounds like from what Darth Maul is saying, you can call me old master. It doesn't really make sense for him to say to anybody else besides a future apprentice, maybe. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. So now we're talking... Uh, you know, just a scant years, a couple of years before A New Hope, and Darth Maul is still around. So does that mean that, uh, you know, perhaps he's still around in the era of, uh, the you know, the original trilogy, perhaps the sequel trilogy? Or do you think, where, or you think this is going to finally, or is Darth Maul finally going to get it? Because after all, Tarkin does say to Vader, you're all that's left of right. you know, their religion. But if Darth Maul's still, ra- you know, <laughs> rattling around there. 
Wow. I mean, really, the way the mythology is laid out in front of us right now, anything is possible, especially the tantalizing tidbit. The thing that I'd really love to see is Vader versus Maul, Darth versus mm. Darth, two Darth Sinner, one Darth leaves. <laughs> That's how Maul is going down. In my, uh, in my dream ending for the season, and I know it won't happen this way, it looks like Vader and Ahsoka, they're battle is going to take place on the same place that Ezra and Darth Maul are meeting, just if you look at the background in like that Sith temple area. I think it'd be really interesting if Vader and Maul fight, and then Ahsoka shows up right after, or maybe Vader and Ahsoka fight, Vader shows some sympathy, and then maybe Darth Maul kills Ahsoka, and then Vader and Maul are that's the final confrontation oh, at the end of the season. Tyler. That's pretty cool. And then he can end it with a really cheesy line at the end, like, that was for Qui-Gon Jinn or something like that. <laughs> Just completely <laughs> out of character. for Qui-Gon! <laughs> that is cheesy. Yeah, you, know, you, you ruined my this. life! That was for Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I told you he was always a good kid, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is the chosen one. So, uh... Wow, uh, th- that this that's is heavy, man. This trailer. Now I've seen the trailer uh, several times, and uh, you guys have definitely opened my eyes up to a lot of things happening in this trailer that I didn't catch just with the naked eye. Right. Granted, for for whatever reason, I did not give this my old fashioned freeze frame walkthrough. Where oh my I god, just, I did for like yeah, three yeah. hours. <laughs> you know, um, maybe I'm still in the Force Awakens mode. I don't know, but I just. Uh, I, I, I should have done something like that. But uh, now that we're breaking down this trailer, I realize there is a lot more going on. A lot more. We're going to see a lot more uh, Mandalorians. We actually see a shot of Ezra with a very familiar looking uh, blade can, lightsaber blade configuration. Yeah, a la Kylo, Kylo Ren. Which yes. actually, I think, gives hints to what planet they're on. If you're reading all your Force Awakens expanded uh, content. Oh, the time materials. Okay, well, there's a, we obviously have a lot of people, uh, at least you know three or four that are doing that in our listening audience. <laughs> well, <laughs> so what are you talking Tyler, about? Tyler, tell man. us let's, what planet. Yeah, cut to the Well, chase. in the Force Awakens visual dictionary, there's a little tidbit about Kylo Ren's lightsaber, and it yeah. talks about how Kylo Ren's lightsaber is new, but it's of an ancient design that dates back to the Great Scourge of Malachor. And in old canon or expanded universe, whatever. There is a planet called Malachor 5 that's very heavily mentioned in the Knights of the Old Republic games. And there is a battle known as the Battle of Malachor 5. And in the Battle of Malachor 5, the Republic is fighting the Mandalorians. And at the end, the Mandalorians are pretty much completely decimated after a super weapon called the Mass Shadow Generator is unleashed. And it would make sense to just rename the Battle of Malachor V to the Great Scourge of Malachor because there's tons of hints. If you look at the planet, you see a bunch of charred bodies, and they look like they're covering themselves from an impeding explosion. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I went to see a museum exhibit, Pompeii, 79 AD. It was it was fascinating, and they actually had these these I, – I think they were molds. I don't know if they were the real deal, but there were actually – they were able to get sort of like fossilized uh, reliefs of people struggling as oh, the in their last moments, in right? their last yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. And, and the image I'm seeing here in uh, because we have a, a screenshot of that moment where Ezra ignites the green bladed saber. That's much like 
Kylo Ren's with the cross guards and everything. You see in the background, in the shadows, there's a guy, and he reminds me of one of those bodies covered in that Pompeii ash that I saw in the museum exhibit back in the 70s. He's he's frozen in, in sort of a... He's like covering up his head, trying to protect himself from the impending doom, and uh, that's that's really interesting. So the Malachor, huh? Mm-hmm. There's there's also another shot in the trailer where Ezra, Ahsoka, and Kanan are walking towards what looks like the uh, the Sith Temple, and you can see a lot more bodies that are charred and just like in a still position. So it, it, the entire location feels ancient to me. And if they were able to tie it into older EU stuff, I think it'd be very, very interesting. Okay, so like, like Malachor. Yeah, Malachor yeah. would be a very, very interesting choice because the temple could also be a temple uh, known as the Treus Academy, which was a Sith training academy in uh, the expanded universe. There's a lot of options they could go with, and I think it'd be a great idea. How is there an academy? academy? Only two there are. That's a pretty small academy. Actually, yeah, but ancient Sith. Yeah, well, that's right. Sith, that, 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 like right. That was pre- 600 Sith lords in the Sith Empire at one point. Right, right, right. right. And they were all Old E was with, very with, generous. With, with tattoos, and they were all hot babes. Uh, <laughs> Twi'lex. Yes. Um, so we're, we're looking at this temple. So I, you know what? I got to be honest, guys. It didn't really occur to me that we're talking about a Sith temple here. Yeah. So this is, to, we. I mean, other than the red lighting. Well, you know, I think because they're looking at a pyramid shape, and at the top of the the top part of the pyramid appears to be a red pyramid that that yeah. resembles a Sith holocron. If you ask me, you see that, Tyler? I, mm-hmm. yeah, there's another shot in the trailer where you see like a large bolt of electricity just shoot up in the air, and there's a hole above the pyramid that yeah. looks like it could maybe be an exit point for a lightning bolt ray or whatever that is. And you can see it in the background when Vader and Ahsoka are jumping at each other, actually. Mm. Oh, so yeah. I, I think this planet, whether it be Malachor 5 or another planet entirely, I think it's going to be where the last few episodes of the season take place. So it's going to be a very, very important location. Yeah, I know that well. much. As I look at this giant pyramid, the whole thing looks like a huge Sith holocron. So if that's the direction they want to take this into, maybe this is... Instead of finding a temple of Jedi, they found, like Tyler said, a temple of Sith. A temple of Sith. Uh, hey, b- before we get into um, our discussion about uh, Princess on Lothal, Episode 10, uh, I do want to take, if you guys don't mind, we'll take a brief break and mention our good friends at Audible. How about that? Audible, they've been with us for a long, long time. Uh, still the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, and uh, they provide digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks for download right to your smartphone, your MP3 player, if there still are MP3 players around. I don't know. Everybody's, we're all doing it with with our iPhones, our Droid phones, our smartphones. Uh, Audible, you know, pretty much if you can listen to digital audio in some format, Audible, they have you covered. You listen whenever and wherever you want, just like Rebel Force Radio that you're listening to now. As I say, tens of thousands of of uh, of uh, titles to choose from, just about every genre from sci-fi to uh, uh, the classics. You know, there there's always those books that you think I'm not like a real person unless I read. Like I need to read Moby Dick or I need to read, you know, A Tale of Two Cities. That's a great way to do it. You just download them on Audible, and you can be instead of well read, well listened. And uh, if you want to be really well listened, why don't you try? 
the brilliant adaptation of The Force Awakens by Alan Dean Foster and read by Mark Thompson. So uh, while you're waiting for that Blu-ray, that DVD to come out uh, in the next uh, couple of months, fill the time by listening to the adaptation on Audible. And uh, so here's the best part. You can get that book free. I said free. Force Awakens audiobook for free when you sign up today. So just go to uh, audiblepodcast.com slash RFR and uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And that book is yours to keep regardless whether you stay involved. We know you're going to want to stay involved, but if you don't, you get to keep that book forever and ever and download it as many times as you want. And I got to tell you, the Audible app for uh, iOS is just fantastic. I have a long commute, so I'm always listening to uh, Audible books. So we uh, thank Audible of their long, long standing support of us here at Rebel Force Radio. Once again, audiblepodcast.com slash RFR. All right, let's get into it, guys. The return of Princess Leia, young Leia, in the episode of Princess on Lothal. We're talking about episode 10, uh, written by Stephen Melching and uh, directed by Bosco Ng. And uh, we're looking at about three years before Star Wars A New Hope. So, Jimmy Mack, this would put Leia at about, what, 16, we think? Yeah, yeah, ballpark, ballpark. Because when A New Hope starts, you can place Luke and Leia's age anywhere between 18 and 20. So, typically, I say they're 19. (laughs) You know, I just, uh, let's just meet right in the middle. So, that's the age I've always described to Luke and Leia in Star Wars A New Hope. And, you know, it always uh, was remarkable to me when Vader would refer to Luke as a boy and and Han would call Luke a kid because when I first star- saw Star Wars in 77, I was eight years old. And to me, Luke and Leia were full adults. So I never understood the kid thing until uh, I got older and realized <laughs> that... That's yes. a kid. <laughs> there, there can be people younger than me out there. But, um, but um, I, yeah, I always thought of them as, as adults. And, and I think that the princess we see here in Star Wars Rebels, she carries herself like an adult. There's no question about it. She's not, I don't feel like I'm watching a kid. When I watch Ezra, when I watch Sabine, I feel like I'm watching teenagers. Mm-hmm. I don't get that vibe from Princess Leia even in A New Hope, I don't feel like she's a teenager. She carries herself like royalty, and she, she runs with the big boys. It seems to me, Tyler, like this, uh, this Princess Leia, like to get a sense of what she would have been like at 16 years old, like they went back and uh, maybe borrowed a little bit from uh, what we see of Padme in Episode 1. What do you think? Uh, she seemed very strong and independent, much like she did in A New Hope. Really, one of my only gripes with the episode was that I think she looked a bit too old. She looked more like a 30-year-old than she did a 16-year-old. And Ezra's older than her by a, by a couple of days. I mean, the voice sounded right. Everything else sounded right. It's just the, the character model looked a little bit too old to me. But it felt like Princess Leia. I never for a moment thought, oh, this isn't Princess Leia. I don't know. She doesn't look Oh, She doesn't have any lines on her face. She has no bags under her eyes. She has- I, you know, I'm with Tyler. I think that this... This reminds me of uh, Princess Leia a la Empire Strikes Back, probably more so than, you know, episode four or, you know, pre-episode four. 
It might just be because I'm so used to seeing Ezra and Sabine's character models. They look so obviously young. If you put Ezra yes. and Leia next to each other, I wouldn't say, oh, they're the same age. I would say, oh, that's Ezra's mom. Or but I, but wait a minute, but Ezra, Ezra's not supposed to be 16, is he? Yeah, I, think, I believe I read in an interview that Ezra, this season takes place three years before A New Hope. And so, when the series launched... They said it was five years before A New Hope. So we have to assume two years have passed. Uh-huh. Which so the character's Ezra... definitely aged. So Ezra was probably 14 yeah. when the series launched, and now he's 16. And he looks the exact same. <laughs> well, he wears that helmet a lot in this episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So you can, you can pretend. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Tyler. I think that um, she did. She did strike, you know, uh, as as a little bit older, but I mean that's hard to do, you know. I mean, especially with the style of this animation, where it's it's not, a, you know, an overly complicated, highly detailed um, you know, style in terms of facial features and all of that. But but I but I but I t- I definitely agree with the fact that I never for a second, you know, didn't buy her as Leia. She was Leia, and I thought they really, um, you know, in terms of the the, the character walked her back a few years very, very well. I mean, she eats a little bit of humble pie. You know, her plan doesn't quite go uh, as, as, as she had hoped. Um, but you still get a sense of that. She loves to, you know, as my daughter loves about Princess Leia, she likes to boss the boys around. And this, this Leia, Jim, was bossing the boys around. Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, they needed each other, really. Um, but it was her plan. She was the one who brought the ships, and she was the one in the position of authority where she could manipulate the Imperials that were there and, uh, you know, make her think that uh, she was part of their team when in reality she was working for the other side. So, uh, uh, yeah, she that's does a good boss- That's a good point, what you mentioned about, she, you know, there's no superior to her on this mission at all. Here she is, 16, She's on a very dangerous mission. Is she a senator at this time? Do they refer to her as senator? No, they say that she is an attache to the Senate. Attache. So that's like above intern. No offense, Tyler. <laughs> Am I an attache? Not yet. Yeah, you're not Thanks. yet. You're not. Not yet. But someday you uh, will be a princess. No. Oh. <laughs> Great. So, Jim, she, uh, she works on behalf of the Senate. Yeah, so yeah, I guess she's an administrator of some sort. Right. Um, I, I really like the, the costume choice, too, because it's old Macquarie. Mm-hmm. It's an old Macquarie costume designed for Princess Leia. Um, and I, I think that's very cool. And I, I question the functionality of it because it appears that she has, just right on the, the this little chest plate there, it appears she has adjustments for bass, treble, and mid-range. <laughs> I don't know what... I mean, if you look at the pictures, folks. You're right. You're I don't right. know what that's for. You know, she's, she's, she's got a little she's, EQ up there. Yeah, yeah. She's she's doing a hot mix, and uh, <laughs> but um, but it is based on a Ralph McQuarrie design for uh, Princess Leia um, outfit, and it it sort of resembles the one from the front cover of of uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Mm-hmm. From what we see of it, a little bit, I think Paul would be yelling at his his uh, speakers right now. 
and uh, telling me exactly where it came from. But it, it's from A New Hope for sure. It, it's, it's concept art from A New Hope, that outfit she's wearing. So another nod to McCory. There's a lot of McCory stuff in there. In this whole episode, there's Joe Johnston stuff too. Those ad-ads that show up later in the episode, Joe Johnston inspired, no question about it. You know, it's something that um, kind of jumped out at me, Tyler, with this is you have uh, Lieutenant List, I believe it is, who's kind of carrying things out there. On, on Lothal, and the fact that they put all of that security uh, surrounding the, the ships and the supplies uh, makes me think that there is some suspicion about Alderaan, some suspicion about Leia. Um, is, it, is, it, is it a mark? You know, are we to assume that there is suspicion here, or is it, as she says later in the episode, it's because they know the rebels are that good? I think there's absolutely suspicion. I mean, you can tell from his tone that he's sort of doubtful that her ships just randomly get stolen at all times. And he uses an insane amount of security. They put a parking boot on all the ships. They released two adats, which obviously weren't very effective against the super Jedi Kanan who took them down in about three seconds. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I didn't like that at all. You know, in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back, the uh, the armor was too strong for blasters. Now, it does appear that every time they attack the adats in this episode, they're using those photon torpedoes. But I found it really interesting that not only could the ghost take out an ad at, but the the little ship, the uh, w- w- the what's the little? Is it ship? the Phantom? The Phantom can yeah. also take out an ad at with no problem. And Kanan can take it out in about a second well, and a half. That was really cool though. When, when he sliced, oh, the it was legs. it was cool, but it ju- it sort of stood out to me. It was like, really, is so Kanan this good? My my in universe explanation for this is obviously by the time of Empire Strikes Back, the ad ats are more advanced. They have stronger material to make the armor with. And uh, and so it would it w- it was a surprise to the rebels on Hoth when they were shooting their blasters out of the snow speeders at the they were shooting the cannons at those adats and they said oh my god the the armor's too strong for blasters it was a revelation because that was adat you know 2.0 whereas this is like adat 1.5 yeah they probably looked at the logs and thought oh. Just send Luke out there with the lightsaber. He'll get rid of him in a second and a half. And then they realized, oh, it's not that easy anymore. They upgraded them. Right. Right. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, they would have to They would have to have learned in a doubt. I think that's a little good. That's some good retconning, Jim. I well, like I'm that. trying my hardest because. But when you think about the length of a lightsaber and yeah, being able to cut insane. through the leg of it's a. It's insane. It and is Some of the things, let's just face it, you know, um, there are some things which defy even Star Wars physics going on in these episodes from time to time. But um, as far as a visual to slice those legs with a lightsaber and just watch that ad at topple down, this is a pretty cool visual effect. So, um, you know, if they can, if, if it works, it works, I guess. But let's just say that those ad ads had much thinner legs than the ones we see in Empire. <laughs> yes, clearly. Clearly they had. Uh, thinner legs. So, uh, you know, I guess we could say that this is very much a, you know, uh, a great example of what Vader is sort of responding to in episode four when he says, you're not on any mercy mission this time. This is one of these uh, faux mercy missions, but it's, it, it is very dangerous. Um, and, you know, for a 16 year old to be given this, mission uh you know it's i mean it it goes to show 
just how dedicated Bail Organa is to this cause. Uh, the fact that he would send his daughter uh, off to do this. This is um, I mean, it's pretty major stuff. And it also reveals probably the fact that there are very few people in the universe that Bail Organa can actually trust to send out on missions. Well, his daughter point. is perfect. Yeah. His daughter is perfect. He can trust his daughter, but he's got to be looking over his shoulder at all times. You brought up earlier about Alderaan. Is the spotlight kind of on Alderaan at this time? I mean, here we are three years out before its ultimate destruction mm. by the, at the hands of the Empire for, for crimes against the Empire and treason. Um, obviously, there had to be some heat. They do mention that there is a lot of rebel activity going on on the planet Alderaan because ships are getting stolen there. Hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, that, that list, he says that to, uh, to Leia. And, um, so, so you understand a little bit about the reputation of Alderaan. It is a hotbed of rebel activity. Yeah. And there's obviously suspicion of, of sympathy, uh, rebel sympathy. Uh, something else, Tyler, that we see here is, Potentially, uh, the the first time that Leia sees a Jedi in action, which is interesting because I think a lot of us uh, speculated or thought because of the there's a a sense of familiarity perhaps with her uh, transmission to Obi Wan Kenobi that we see in A New Hope that she would have been raised uh, hearing about the Jedi, perhaps having a run in or meeting Obi-Wan Kenobi at some point prior. Um, but she does seem genuinely uh, impressed and kind of shocked at what she sees. Yeah. I think um, when I was watching her reaction, I kept thinking in the back of my head, I wasn't thinking about, Oh, she must be amazed. I was thinking, Oh, this means that Kanan and Ezra are absolute toast by the time of A New Hope, because Leia says in her distress message to Obi-Wan, uh, you're my only hope. She just saw Kanan take down an Adat in about a second and a half, and then she saw Ezra do a little force trick. I think that this episode is just flash-forwarding and mm. foreshadowing the doom of Ezra and Kanan eventually. Because, yeah, she's not saying, you're my only hope, um, except for Kanan and Ezra. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. I mean, they do have to work within, you know, what we know about the continuity and in the canon. Um, but, uh, Jim, I mean, every time Kanan ignites that lightsaber, he's making himself a bigger target and drawing a lot more attention to himself. He's no longer assembling it out of two parts anymore. He's got it ready to go. True. He still did surprise Ryder, though. Ryder was like... Uh, yeah, Ryder also ooh. was surprised, right? Yeah, ooh, a Jedi. Nice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you have, to, you have to assume that the more often Kanan exposes himself that way, that he, he's just getting a bigger and bigger and bigger target on his back. Sooner or later, he's going to have to... Uh, He's going to have to answer. I mean, he's already faced down with Darth Vader once and survived. Mm-hmm. You got to figure his luck is going to run out sooner or later. Right. But he has to do what he has to do. You know, I mean, when, when his back's up against the wall, he has to rely on his Jedi skills to uh, save his hide. Um, 
I always wonder about that. How does it, you know a Jedi revealing himself during the dark times? Does that like set off some sort of alarm in in Darth Vader's, <laughs> you know, on his ship or wherever he's hanging out? It's like, oh, there's a Jedi. A Jedi's been spotted uh, on this planet, or, or I mean, how instantly does that information? Find you know, it to Darth Vader. Yeah, you know, I I thought of that actually in the next episode, and we'll be talking about that in just a minute. But you know, there's a moment when um, uh, the uh, what's his name now? It's, it's escaping me. The the Mandalorian, uh, the Protector, Fen Ra. Fen Ra. Thank you. When Fen Ra realizes that he's talking to a, a, a Jedi, you know, he doesn't you know jump to that. Oh wow, there's a huge bounty on your head. I'm going to collect. He's, he kind of takes it in stride. It's not, you know, to your point, Jim, about it, does this send out not just shockwaves and and uh, alarms in Darth Vader's quarters and his chamber, but does it throughout the galaxy and anybody looking to make a buck? And what sets off those alarms? Does Darth Vader have to hear from eyewitnesses that there's a Jedi on the loose, or does he feel something in the Force, a la Lord of the Rings, when they... When the, when the ring gets put onto uh, uh, someone's finger, then all of a sudden everyone seems to know that the ring is there and they know where to find it. The ring wraiths all, all of a sudden appear and everything right. just because someone uh, fired it up, so to speak. So when Kanan fires up the force or turns on his lightsaber, does does Vader, the emperors or, or the inquisitors, do they feel some tremor in the force or do they have to be told there was a Jedi spotted on Lothal. You know, it's uh, I, I, that that has not been defined yet. I hope that never gets defined either. Quite honestly, to hear myself talk about the, the, whether or not Vader just senses every Jedi that's, that's yeah. out there. I mean, yeah. I think that's obviously what the uh, Inquisitors are for. They're to go in and investigate these things, um, you know, and see if they're you know where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, you know, something Tyler. You know, we look at Ezra kind of in this episode dealing with the realities that his parents are gone and you know unlike Luke who it really you know losing his aunt and uncle was really kind of you know sort of that last step that he needed in order to be free of his old life and go and and have this great adventure with Obi-Wan but in the case of Ezra he's using their death as a means to question the whole thing. What's it all about? Yeah, I think that him realizing that his parents are gone, it's going to be sort of a motivator for him to get even closer to the dark side because he doesn't get up and just go like, well, my parents are dead. I guess I got to keep going on with this Jedi stuff. He looks depressed. He looks sad about it. And I think it's going to be something that's hanging over his head the entire season and at some point, I assume he's going to lash out at somebody, whether it be Kanan or Hera or Sabine. Just he's going to be very it's not going to be pretty once mm. he finally confronts somebody. All the anger that's built up inside of him because of the remorse about realizing that his family is gone after thinking after having hope that his family was alive because Luke saw uh, his aunt and uncle. He knew they were dead right away. Ezra still had some hope that they were alive. Mm. And now mm-hmm. it's been completely crushed. But then again, Ryder was the one who told him that, and I'm not totally convinced that Ryder is legit. I have a feeling that he has some ulterior motives. I think he might end up betraying the rebels. That's sort of I, I'm getting 
untrustworthy. I'm I'm a little bit with you on this. I I didn't go so far in in my thinking to assume that he might be a traitor, but he's definitely on the fence. He's kind of lukewarm about the whole thing. Um, You know, he wants to flee. He doesn't want to be a part of the... You know, Kanan's quest. Uh, he's he's very very reluctant. But Jim, I guess you know, a uh, few years in Imperial prison will do that to a guy. Yeah, you know, there's a lot about his credibility. I I question, um, and his integrity. There, there's very little we know about the guy. He did relay that information to Ezra that his parents were dead, but I still am not fully convinced. Because it doesn't appear that he was actually there to witness their death. He bailed on the prison breakout, and the parents stuck behind. Mm. So the parents could very well still be out there. Heck, Ezra's parents could be inquisitors for all we know right now. You know, <laughs> there's just uh, you know, there's there's so many different. So you think or, you, I mean, do you think that that's a possibility that 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 plot point could still be dangling out there, or was that? You know, I mean, it sounds like when we hear Dave Filoni that this was really, you know, this was for good. This was legit that this was wrapping up the whole who were Kanan's parents storyline so that he can focus on his future. But that's interesting that you think that maybe there's still a chance that that's not what happened. Filoni would be the first one to tell you. Always in motion, the future is. <laughs> he would right. be the first one to tell you that. Right, right. Well, there is a very great... There's a, I love the scene between Ezra and Leia. Um, you know, little does she know that she's just a few years from really being to, able to understand and relate to Ezra's loss, but on a, you know, obviously a... Well, a planetary level, I mean, which is just, you know, unfathomable. I, I can't even imagine something like that but um they do they do seem to be kindred spirits in this way and she claims that she fights for those that cannot and that's that's good enough for her obviously she's grown up in this struggle uh from the very beginning she's obviously been uh, uh trained and uh, uh prepared to to lead and you know we see threads of the general that she's you know to become jim when you look back at leia here as at 16 years old and then we flash forward to the force awakens and we know that that despite all the success that uh, she had with the rebel alliance and uh, building a a a new government she is still that rebel, she's still that general. She's still uh, distrustful, you know. In these, she's still very much the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about the era in which she was raised and who raised her. You know, right. uh, the Bail Organa was witness to uh, not only the Jedi being betrayed, but the entire galaxy, and he could do nothing about it. So obviously, he passed that down to Leia. Um, it's the line in The Force Awakens when Han and Leia kind of say, you know, we went back to doing what we were best at. Right. Um, that's not the actual line, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The, um, the only thing that he said, I went back to the only thing I was ever good at. 
And she said, I did too. Right. And, and her, the thing she's best at is uh, motivating and, and leading uh, a rebellion. And the thing he's best at doing is smuggling. And uh, so they got back to doing what they were doing before they ever even met each other. They went back to their natural positions in life. And that's her natural position is being a, a leader, but not of an organized government of – a militia. <laughs> That's what Leia does. That's what she is the best at doing. She's not – she doesn't consider herself to be uh, a great senator. She doesn't consider herself to be a great wife or even a great mother, but she knows she's a she's a great militia leader. Right, right. And um, so growing up in that era of, of distrust and secrecy and all of that, you can kind of see – how she would eventually not even trust perhaps the, the, the very government she helped to install. So uh, very, very interesting um, uh, to, to watch that evolution of that character. And it's, I love the way that it's sort of, you know, we, now we have these bookends of, of uh, Princess Leia. Yeah, really. Coming out at the same time. Right. <laughs> you, you get to see her... Uh... At her uh, oldest and her youngest, <laughs> right in the, you know, right next to each other. For sure, so, yeah, for sure. And, now, and, and so I mean, but we, we do agree that we feel the consistency with the character is there. Whether I definitely she be think young so. Or old, yeah. I definitely think so. I think that uh, her as a character was very consistent with uh, the Leia that we see in the original trilogy and all the way up to. The Force Awakens, to tell you the truth, I, I think that it, they did a fantastic job bringing her back into the Star Wars universe, and it, especially at this stage. I, I loved it. Uh, Tyler, at the end of this episode, do you think that um, she's increased the suspicion uh, of uh, you know, what, what's really going on in Alderaan and what's really going on in the, you know, the house of Organa? Yeah, I don't think this is going to be anything that's just going to be brushed under the rug. Uh, I assume the lieutenant who was just bullied the entire episode by Leia back and forth, <laughs> yeah. is going to complain, you know, that that princess has really bad luck. Maybe we should look at a security camera or something and yeah. ask ourselves what is going on. Because the Vader or one of the Inquisitors could look at it and just go like, oh, well, there's something going on here. They're just, it's going to lead to them investigating her further, and then we all know what happens to Alderaan in the end. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, his line, you know, you weren't on a mercy mission this time. I mean, it, it implies that, you know, we've watched this play out enough. Yeah. We've seen this happen several times. So we finally caught you. We know what you are. Um, and uh, and of course, they d- d- dispose of her um, and not just her, but obviously her her whole planet. It, it You know, when we look back, Jim, on the destruction of of Alderaan, was that. Was that really to get the truth out of her, or was that just payback for all of the betrayal that they have had on the you know the hands of uh, Bail Organa and his whole you know his rule? Well, Alderaan, just because it was target number one, because of Bail, because of the fact that it was a hotbed of rebellious activity and insurrection, I think that might even be getting played out a little bit more as we see. Rebels continue as we see Rogue One. I think we're going to learn a lot about Alderaan and their place uh, as far as being a thorn in the Imperial side. But um, 
But I think that the main motivation behind destroying Alderaan was the fact that the Death Star finally, after decades, had become fully operational. And it was time to send a message, not only to Leia or the Rebels, but to the entire galaxy on a whole. Don't mess with the Empire. They had reached the end of the rope. And you see this even before they destroy Alderaan, because Vader finally makes his move on Leia. And he wants the plans. Remember, he never finds the plans. He never finds any evidence to to find her guilty. There was a transmission to the ship, sure, but that doesn't mean that instantly the princess from Alderaan, a senator in the Imperial uh, Senate, is, is, is guilty of treason. He just assumes it. And he doesn't fl- find the plans, so what do they do? They destroy the ship. And they report back to the Senate that it was uh, there was a problem, a mechanical problem with the uh, the Tanta V four, and it exploded, and everyone aboard was killed. So um, they had already lost their patience yeah. with the princess and Alderaan and the rebellion on a whole, and they were they were making their statements then. At this point in time, it's still a little bit of political maneuvering. It's a little bit of uh, working behind the scenes and seeing what you can get away with if you're Princess Leia or if you're the Rebels. If you're the Rebels, because you can still get away with it. The hammer had yet to come down fully until the, the, the Death Star became operational. Right around that time, you see the Empire completely losing all patience with anyone who might be considered a rebel sympathizer. Right. All right. Well, before we uh, get into the next episode, the protector of Concord, Don, we have a real treat for you. We have joining us on the line right now, Julie Dolan, the voice actress who uh, brought Princess Leia to life in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, But that's not the first time that we've heard Julie as uh, Leia. So she's on the line right now. Hello, Julie. Welcome to Rebel Force Radio. Oh, thank you. It's so great to be here. (laughs) Well, we are honored by your presence, your highnessness. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Are you bowing to me? I Right now, I am. Yeah. Yeah. My back's oh, sore from it, actually. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's, it's great to have you on and uh, even better to have uh, Princess Leia and Rebels. That is so yes. cool. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know the lead time on these, these projects are uh, very lengthy. How long has it been? How long have you had to keep the big secret hush hush before you could start telling uh, people, I'm in Rebels and I'm Princess Leia again? We recorded it in February of last year. Wow! So I had, and then from from Rebels, I did um, Disney Infinity 3.0, The Force Awakens, where they asked me to see if I can sound like current Leia, and I had no reference. I you, the movie was obviously wasn't out yet, and they didn't have. They had a tiny little clip for me. I think I. They, they let me hear one little sentence that she said to Han. But they said, you know, why don't you listen to Carrie Fisher current interviews? You can get kind of a sense of how she talks now. And I said, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sound like her. Mm. And, you know, I went into the studio and I just kind of got into my lower register and yeah. kind of had a little bit of a gravel in my voice. And I go, you know, this is it. And they said, no, it's fine. It's fine. And after that, we did... Um, uh, the um, another uh, mobile app. It was a 
another kind of video game mm-hmm. where it was Uprising. currently a, yeah Star Wars so Uprising. I, and then I, yes, and then I did another project that hasn't come out yet that that I I can't tell you about yet. So you soon. are Leia. You are the voice of Leia now. It appears to be that way. <laughs> it, it first started in 2010 or 2011. Late late 2010, I got a call from my agent, and she said, "Can you sound like Princess Leia?" And I, my first response was, no, I don't think so. I've never been told I sound like Princess Leia, and I've never thought, I, I, that never occurred to me. So she said, well, I don't even know what this project is. They're looking for something, and he, they want you to do the Obi-Wan Kenobi speech, the, the hologram from uh, uh, A New Hope. So, Julie, so obviously, they, obviously somebody heard you, on a, you know, or, or, or saw you or heard you with another project and thought, Hmm, there's something close there. Do you know what that was? What was the tip-off? Actually, no. Hmm. They, they auditioned 200 girls. First. Oh, my goodness. They okay, did, so this was a they, wide they, net they were throwing out. This was a wide casting call uh-huh. to find the voice. So they didn't find the voice in this first couple of hundred girls. They actually brought in Carrie Fisher to see if she could maybe recreate her voice, and it just didn't fit. So they auditioned another couple of 100 girls, and I just happened to fall into that. Wait a minute. Are you saying that you beat Carrie Fisher in a head-to-head audition for the role of Princess Leia? Nice. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, you're good. (laughs) Incredible. I mean, she had to to sound like herself at Of course. And And who does sound like... Carrie Fisher yeah. at 19 anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You so do, apparently. I, I, apparently, I do. And, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, it, w- w- I did the audition, and and I, they sent me her hologram little speech. So, mm-hmm. I was able to listen to it and talk along with it. My husband helped me. He would say, you know, lower your pitch a little bit. And, hmm. and I had to find the right rhythm, and I had to find the right emotion. I had to try to sound like... It was one person as I'm talking, you know what I mean, as sure. I'm talking with her. So I said, oh, I don't know if this sounds like it. So I sent it in, and I got a callback. And usually for voiceovers, you, you don't really get callbacks. Mm. And I thought, a callback? That's interesting. So they brought me into Disney Imagineering. Still had no idea what this was for. And there were, I guess, one or two other girls that were also auditioning. They brought in a dialect coach, because if you remember in A New Hope, Carrie had that slight English accent. Yeah, at times. That kind of came in and out. Right, So right. they wanted that. And wow. uh, Well, you know, the reason she had that accent is because right before she filmed A New Hope, she was in, in London going to school. She was going to acting school. And she came is that right? Back to, back to L.A. And she said she had this kind of accent that kept coming in and out. But it allowed her, because of the training, Shakespeare or whatever she did, allowed mm-hmm. her to be able to wrap her mouth around, you know, all of these words that she was unfamiliar with. She said it really helped her, but it it left a slight accent that she couldn't seem to get rid of. So they wanted me to do that. And when I stepped out of the booth, they had a hologram of Carrie, and they manipulated the mouth to say the dialogue that, that you're saying. They changed the dialogue a little bit, and I still didn't know what this was for. And my voice was coming out of the hologram, and I said, is that Carrie Fisher? Is that me? (laughs) No, that's you. And they finally told me it was for Star Tours. They were revamping Star Tours at Disneyland, creating a whole new ride, and they had the hologram of Carrie Fisher, and they wanted her to speak to the people on the ride, the guests in the park. 
they call them star speeders. So that's what that speech is. So if you go to Disneyland and you go on star tours, you know, there's several variations, but if you get the Princess Leia, that was my very first job as Princess Leia. Wow. And apparently Dave Filoni, the director of Star Wars Rebels, heard it and two years, three, four years later said, well, let's let's bring that girl back. <laughs> let's bring her Disneyland. back. <laughs> that, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So they brought me in to uh, the studio and it, it was interesting. They said it was for an in-house Lucasfilm project and they hooked me up with motion capture. I had dots on my face and I had a helmet on and I had a, a camera on my face and they said, this is not for public. This is just for something in-house. And uh, I'm thinking maybe it was an audition. Maybe it was a second audition. I, I don't know exactly. I've never seen that project. But I was directed by Dave, and I had a scene with C-3PO and R2-D2, and I had to memorize. Usually, as a voiceover artist, you have your your script in front of you, yeah. and you're looking at the script. I didn't realize I had to memorize it. So I memorized it quickly, and we did the scene. I did the scene as if I was talking to them. I had to look at them. I had an eye line, and Dave went, fabulous, fabulous. Now, when you're coming for Rebels, and I thought, oh, oh, did I get the job? Oh, okay. So I went home and told my agent. He said, when I come in for Rebels, so I don't know. And we didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks, and then she said, okay, you're going in for Rebels, and uh, you're, you're recording with everybody. So I walked in, and the whole cast was there, and they were ready and excited and and, uh, and that's that's really rare. Cold. That's rare for voice actors uh, in, a, in a in a show to actually be in the studio in the recording uh, booth with their fellow actors. Right? That's not common. It is, but not for Rebels. They always do it with Rebels. Right. It feels right. like you're doing theater almost. Mm. I mean, you're all standing in a row. I was. They put me in the middle. You've got your mic stand. You've got your music stand with your. Um, uh, your copy on it, and the actors are all around you. And, uh, you know, I, I come from a theater background, so, of course, I'm trying to make eye contact and look at them, and, and you know, everyone's you're kind of looking at each other a little bit, but you're looking at your lines. Because right. a lot of times they change them at the last minute, so you have, to, you have to stay focused. And there's a camera on you as well, watching your head movements, watching the way you move. And it was very interesting that that's, I didn't realize the animators were, would then create my movement based on what I was doing in the studio. Before you walked into the studio though, I'm sure you went back and watched some of those original trilogy Star Wars films to pick up on the way Carrie performed the lines. So what was probably the, if there was one scene you could choose, which is that one scene where you, you were practicing the dialogue and you think, oh, I think I got it. I would say A New Hope. I watched that several times. I, my husband and I went to Hawaii right before I taped the, recorded this, and I took all six movies with me and sat in my hotel room and watched all six movies and watched her. I watched her head movements. i watched every, almost every scene. I would study how she said something. And especially when she was with Han, she was very animated when she was with Han, uh, very angry and very snarky. And, and she, I would watch pretty much a new hope just to get who she was and how she moved and how she how she said things and her rhythm and you know her pitch you have to study all of that if you want to sound like somebody i i uh this is funny i 
on my agent's outgoing message on their phone. Hi, you've reached coast to coast. If you want to speak with the theatrical department, press one. They asked me to come in and do that. So I, they paid me for it, and I went in and it was like a little job. The producer of The Guilt Trip, the movie with Seth Rogen and uh, Barbara Streisand, called them and heard my voice and said, can we see her to do Barbara Streisand to do some, do some ADR voice matching? And wow. I said, oh, no, 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 I don't do Barbara Streisand. I'm not a Barbara Streisand impersonator. No, no. And they brought me in to meet the director and one other girl. And this woman does Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, and Barbara Streisand. And she does a kind of like a, um, a cabaret show where she'll talk a little bit like Barbara and she'll sing Barbara and then she'll talk a little bit like Judy and sing Judy. And I sat next to her and I went, oh, she's perfect. I, <laughs> what am I doing here? I don't. And she said to the woman, so how long have you been doing Barbara? And she said, oh, I've been doing it for years. And, and I just sat there and she said, and how about you? And I went, oh, about five minutes. I, I really am so sorry. I, I don't do Barbara. I, it brought me into this little tiny room and they played on a video screen, some scenes. And what I said was, let me say the lines with Barbara. Just play them over and over and over. And I would try to sound, I did exactly what I did with, with Carrie. I listened to it, I started speaking with it, and by the end of the line, it sounded like one person. So I left there thinking, okay, I did a good job, whether I get the job or not. I, I'm learning how to voice match, because I'm kind of new at this. I was back then. And they called me and said, you have the job. I said, you're kidding. We're not the impersonator? She said, no, she was a caricature. We wanted an actress that could match the emotion, that could maybe do a little improv of what Barbara might say, somebody that's a true actress. So I was in the studio doing Barbara, doing some improv, doing, I had to match her lines where she, her back is to the camera and I'm saying the line. As she turns around, my voice is coming out of her mouth on some of these scenes <laughs> where maybe there was a plane going over or something happened and Barbara wasn't avail, available to come in. And there were, the producer was in the studio, couldn't see me, thought Barbara was in, in the recording booth. And when I walked out, she said, oh my God, I thought, Barbara was in there. No, it was me. So I, that was, that was so, because you just don't know who you sound like. You know, you, there's, there's certain, I auditioned for Amelia Earhart for a commercial. I thought I did a great job. No, I didn't book that job. I auditioned for, to sound like Charlize Theron. I do not sound like her. You can't, if you don't have it, it's not in your makeup. It's hard to fake it. Well, how do you, you know, that's, that's an interesting point that you bring up. We've, we've spoken to James Arnold Taylor, uh, another very talented uh, voice actor, as well as a voice double. Uh, how do you describe, describe the, difference the difference between voice doubling and doing an impression? I think a lot of people would assume it's the same thing. I think a, an impression is more of a caricature. Hmm. Because when you hear it, if somebody does Robert De Niro... And they do the facial thing, and they, you know, a comedian or something. You say, "Oh yeah, that's like looks like looks and sounds like Robert De Niro." But if you actually put Robert De Niro right next to him and they spoke, it may be a little bit more pushed. You know what I mean? It may sure. be. It, I think it's a little bit for, more forced or more um, accentuated. It's not really the voice match. You we have to listen to the scene that they're doing. I mean, somebody can go out and do Barbara. But I had to match what she was doing in the guilt trip. 
You know what's now, funny? Oh, you know what's funny ahead, is, is, is hearing you talk about voicing Princess Leia, voicing Barbara Streisand. I flash back to that incredible Saturday Night Live spoof of the uh, Star Wars screen tests. I don't know if you remember this, Julie, but Anna Gasteyer portrayed Barbara Streisand actually auditioning for the role of Princess Leia. Do you remember this? No. Here, listen, I actually have it queued up. It's just a few seconds long. Check this out. Um, All right, Barbara Streisand, Princess Leia screen test. Okay, whenever you're ready, Barbara. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. (laughs) I want to take that way down. More? Yeah. I can do that. Okay, whenever you're ready. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. (laughs) Okay, thanks. I didn't get the part, did I? (laughs) She says, I didn't get the part, did I? (laughs) That's ironic. <laughs> when worlds collide. Wow. wow. That is hysterical. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, you, you've done Princess Leia now for Star Tours. You, you, you've done her in Rebels. Uh, do you, is this, does this tend to be Princess Leia at a particular period of time? You said that with the Force Awakens project um, that, I mean, did you say you ended up doing the Force Awakens project or no? Yes, with the older Leia. So you did the older Leia. So yes. you channeled the older Leia and you dropped it down in, in into the register. So Yes. Yes. Wait, wait. I portrayed her at thirteen now, at nineteen, and then current. Which we, we don't you know, we don't mention is, a lady's age, so we don't know what that is. Probably, we don't. Th- you're twenty nine, I think. Yes. <laughs> I, the thing is is I before I went in for Rebels, before I went in for any of these projects, I would go over and over and over and try to sound like her, and I would play A New Hope, and I, I, did, I found some sound bites on YouTube where it just did a lot of Leia lines. And eventually when I would go in, they'd say, you know what, you, you, you don't have, I, I'd rather you say the lines how you would say them. Don't try ne- necessarily to sound like her. You already do. You mm. are already Leia. So you don't, and it gave, it took a little bit of pressure off me to, as I'm saying them going, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think she would say it like that. I don't think, no, it's fine. We want you to be in the scene, emotionally in the scene. Just speak. You don't have to try to sound like her. There's a one project that I did that I can't talk about yet Hmm. that I tried to sound like her and they went, no, 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 no. That sounds too much like a new hope. Let's just, (laughs) let's just make it funny. Let's make it funnier. Hmm. Uh, Oh, Oh, you don't want me to sound like... Okay, I get it. So they accepted my voice as is, and now I was given permission to play around. Wow. That's, that's, it's, yeah. it's so cool. It, it's so cool. Um, how do you... When you're dealing with the difference between what you sound like uh, after you hear you know, the, a, a recording versus what you're sounding like in your own head, how do you make that calibration? I still don't think I sound like her. So there is no case. <laughs> so I, the version I, of, of Leia that I'm you hear in your insane. head doesn't quite translate, but the people outside of you are saying, no, that's and dead on. That's it. The only time I, the only times that I do think, oh, that does sound like her, is when I'm talking with her, when I'm practicing, when, she, when I'm about to go in to record something. I'll play A New Hope. I'll play snippets. And I will talk along with her, and I, I all of a sudden say, think, okay, that sounded like one person. I got it. 
But I, then, you know, it's the next day, and you go into the studio, and you've kind of lost that. So I made a little iPod playlist, and I play it in my ear. And right when we're ready to court, I'm like, hold on, hold on. I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta hear this. So I would play it in my ear. Ah, uh, the character the warm-up. You know, we've spoken to uh, Tom Kane, who's voiced Yoda, James Arnold Taylor. Uh, Jim, there are a number of uh, folks we've talked to. Uh, voice actors that have these warm-ups. You and McGregor made the iPod playlist with classic Alec Guinness to uh, get the yeah. cadence and everything right. Uh, wh- what are the what are the one or two lines that um, always bring it home for you? The Obi Wan Kenobi speech. The, the Obi Wan Kenobi speech. By the way, I have the to whole- ask you, when you said that um, they sent that to you you're, the first time you auditioned for Leia. I'm yeah. hoping that that wasn't the first time you heard that, right? No, of course not. Okay, all right. I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. I hadn't seen the movie for years. Hmm. So I had to refresh on what she sounded like in in that speech and her desperation. And, you know, it was a long time. So if you you go 24 hours without hearing it, at least for me, I kind of lose it. I need to hear it fresh. Yeah. So, were you a Star Wars fan when you uh, when they said Princess Leia's name? I am Did now. You... <laughs> Everybody is now. Did you I see am that movie? Now. Wow! I, uh, I have studied uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia. I've seen the movies. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, on Wikipedia. There's so many extended stories sure. that it, the family tree just keeps going on and on and on, and I, you get overwhelmed. I'm trying to figure out who she was and who her parents were and and I want to read all about her and then when I saw the movie I saw um, uh, Attack of the Clones you see who her parents were her real real mom was and I thought okay that's that's where Mm. she gets her spunk from you know and back to some of the lines that that I that I um, listened to is when she's when she's saying little things to Han, like you scruffy looking nerf herder, things like that, I will practice. I'll just sit in my car and practice that. Or General do people Tuck give is, you funny looks? Just, yeah, like you know, a cop is walking by and you have the window rolled down and you. No. Yes. Yes. I always look around before I I start doing the speech. Good call. Yes. So, hey, have you seen that? There's going to be a. a Princess Leia action figure from Rebels? Yeah. Oh, yes. They've. I've. A lot of the Twitter fans have sent that to me, and uh, they say, "Look, look, you're an action figure." Yeah, it's not me. You know, I, I. I appreciate that. It's great. It is my voice, but it's that's that's not me. And it's funny because I. I look. I don't. Ha- I don't look like Leia, but I have some similarities. Our eyes are the same color. We have the same coloring. I tried to find a picture of me that could look a little bit like her. Um, that I've posted, and, and I have a picture of myself with Leia that I sign autographs for. And uh, it got to get the hair bun. Similarity? Yeah, but no, no, no. It's, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that makes my face look too fat. <laughs> no yeah. hair buns for me. So, since you've been inhabiting this character of Princess Leia, uh, how much of a kick was it for you to see uh, Carrie Fisher step back into the role in The Force Awakens? Oh, it was great. I was so excited for that. I was so excited because I had seen the, the first six so many times. I couldn't wait for the, you know, the big three to, I had to wait for Luke forever. But <laughs> to see those three, it was so great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and of course, I was, 
I was listening to her voice going, did, did I match that? Did I sound like that? You know, I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to enjoy it. You, you know, it's not all work, Julie. You got to enjoy it. Yes. Uh, well, well, hey. You know, I, know, I know you've seen the, both of you have seen The Force Awakens, what, four times now? I've been listening to your podcast. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I saw the picture of you with your wife watching. Your wife saw it once and you saw it four times. I have seen it once and I'm going this Saturday to see it again. Oh, yeah. You know what? If you haven't, honest to God. Uh, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you haven't seen it twice, you haven't seen it really. The I first time is so crazy that by the, the second time it really soaks in. Yes. Did you see it in 3D? Oh, yeah. Yes. Jimmy yes, saw it when the chair moves on you. It's like the Star Tours version. <gasps> yeah, it was. Oh, that's great. You have to check it out. It's this new technology. Well, it's been around for a couple of years. It's called D-Box. D-Box. And if you can see The Force Awakens with the D-Box, it's a real trip. Now, as far as 3D goes, I will only see it in IMAX 3D. I, I actually walked out of a 3D screening on a standard size screen because I, I felt oh. it was just too muddy looking, in my opinion. I think okay, the yeah. IMAX 3D is really nice. That's the way to do it. Okay. I'm not a 3D fan, but... This didn't bother me because things weren't actually flying at me They where I had to duck. I was able to enjoy it, but I would like to see it without the glasses on. Yeah, yeah. Go see. It's, it's great. It's great. It's, it's so enjoyable. 1D, 2D, 3D, 4D, any D you can see it in. And yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know what? And it's it's really great to meet you, Julie. Um, it's, you too. It's no small accomplishment because you are you, – you talked just a few minutes ago about – the big three. Well, you're the first one to bring one of the big three to Star Wars animation. Yes, yes. I'm so happy about that. It's, it's sort of a, my life has changed. It's a whirlwind, and, and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying this wave, and we'll see what it brings. Well, welcome to the Star Wars family. It's great to have you. And if people want to see you. you, if people want to see you, you're going to be hitting the stage in February. Why don't you just tell us really briefly about the new stage production you're appearing in and uh, where our listeners can go see you? Oh, I am in a new play. It's a world premiere play called Connect. And it's, boy, it's a, when I read this script, I didn't have time to do a play, but I could not turn it down. And it's one of the most compelling, intense stories I've ever read. And the part is such a great part. I never leave the stage, which is a little challenge. This is a big challenge for me, this part, in several different ways. And it, uh, we're in heavy rehearsals for it now. And we open February 12th. There's four characters in it, and it tells the story of two people that are completely on opposite sides of the world that would, would never normally meet. And they meet and make a connection and have some secrets in their life that are revealed that are pretty incredible and uh it's in north hollywood at theater 68 february 12th we open and uh we're really excited about it great and julie if folks want to keep up with you on the on the twitter on the facebook where can they uh where can they do that what's your handle twitter handle is just call me leia oh perfect <laughs> Oh, I set that one up a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait on that one. That's awesome. And uh, my my website is www.juliedolan.com. And then for voiceover, it's just add VO, juliedolan.com VO. 
my my regular website has a lot of I do a lot of on camera uh, shows, and I'm also in a musician. I'm in a couple of rock bands. Uh, wow, bands. Renaissance Cover woman. Yeah, <laughs> Leia rocks. You do it all. Yeah. yeah, there you go, Leia rocks. I like that. <laughs> Well, Julie, thanks again for uh, dropping by, and I uh, hope this is not the last time that we see Leia on Rebels, and it's not the last time that we talk to you here on Rebel Force Radio, so please, uh, we'd love to have you back on the program. Love to come back. Thank you so much, guys. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, excuse me, Miss, uh, where's your commander? Not much of a welcoming committee. Trooper? I'm Kanan. This is Ezra. We're from Phoenix Squadron. I know who you are. And unless you want the deck officer to know, too, I suggest you put your helmets back on and keep your mouths shut. Excuse me? You heard her. Shut it. All right. The second episode here on our uh, double header, our double feature, The Protector of Concord. Don, we're back. Uh, with the Mandalorians, it's been a while. We haven't seen them since uh, the Clone Wars, and when last we left them, they were under coming under the control of Darth Maul, who we now know in the Rebels era is Old Master. So we lost some time, uh, though. Jim, according to uh, what Pablo Hidalgo is saying on Rebels Recon, this whole Mandalore uh, plot was something that they were going to. Uh, cover more of in future episodes of Clone Wars, which we never saw. Absolutely. In, in the uh, novelization for Empire Strikes Back, Boba Fett was described as wearing the armor of a military group that was defeated by the Jedi during the Clone Wars. In the novelization, it never said Mandalorian, but uh, that was something that came... Oh, gosh, around that time, but in different materials. Remember, we had a whole thing with Dave Filoni. You know we what had we did? Fun. We had we, a, we had a investigative report about the first time that the word Mandalore or Mandalorian was used. And this is when they were bringing the Mandalorians into the Clone Wars. Right. Gosh, way back in season two, I think, back in 2009. And so uh, Filoni uh, assigned us with the task of, discovering when the term Mandalore or Mandalorian was used to describe the armor that Boba Fett was wearing. I think we tracked it down to this Empire Strikes Back sketchbook. It's the first place it was actually it was actually mentioned. But it it it, it became this thing that just kept growing in a bigger and bigger and then all of a sudden the Mandalore the Mandalorians were this subculture in the Star Wars universe, and they had their own language and 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 all of the, these aspects to their cultural lifestyle. Let's face and it; they became the Klingons of Star Wars. It was shaping up that way. It yep. certainly was. When you have fans at conventions speaking in the language to each other, then you have to wonder how far well, is this the whole you know the warrior race thing, the culture. Yes. Yes. All of that. In fact, um, speaking of Rebels Recon, and we were, we were, I was watching it, and uh, my my wife was in the room, and she was listening to Dave talk about eh, the houses and then the clans, and then, and, yeah. and she's like, I, I, what? And I said, I, I wasn't following it either. 
well, there's houses and other clans. And then, I mean, there, it's, it is a very, very complex, maybe uh, outside of the Jedi, one of the most um, complicated and, and uh, you know, spelled out culture that we have in the Star Wars universe. And it was so well defined in the expanded universe, Tyler, that a lot of that was then brought in, you know, into the canon, the new canon. Uh, but you're kind of our, our eyes and ears into, the, you know, the world of the, the old expanded universe. Uh, is this still a sore spot for a lot of uh, of Star Wars fans that are, you know, obviously uh, enthusiasts of the whole Mandalorian culture? Is this still a um, a point of contention, what we're seeing in Rebels? Um, I don't really think it's a point of contention. My biggest problem with the Clone Wars when the Mandalorians were introduced was everything that I knew about about the Mandalorians was that they were a warrior culture and they like to fight. That's what they're really, really, really good at. And then they introduced them as, oh, no, we're peaceful now. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. But this episode is actually, I think this episode of Rebels might be my favorite episode of Rebels so far just because it goes really deep into the Mandalorian culture more. And uh, I was able to follow the houses and clan stuff yeah, I was able to follow it, so I didn't really have any. Well, issue is that, that is that new, or is are they building on some of the, the, the what's been established in the past for the uh, for the Mandalorians? No, they've always had clans and houses. Like Clan Fett used to be one. Clan Ordo was one. So Clan Ren being part of House Vizsla was relatively easy for me to follow. But I can understand someone who's not a fan of the old expanded universe Mandalorian stuff getting confused because Dave's explanation on Rebels Recon. Uh, he was describing some houses like members of the King's Guard, and it, w- it was a little bit hard to follow. It was, it was, it was very Tolkien, and we know that Dave is a big fan and a student of uh, of Tolkien, and so to me, it it, it just it kind of it, it felt that way. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a great explanation; it was fine. It was just, you know, for me, I just you know, I kind of lost interest after House. Uh, yeah, it seemed very Game of Thrones ish to me, and it might yeah. be because I'm so caught up in the hype, but having like the clans maybe being the bannermen for the different houses, like you have House Stark, and then you have the smaller houses, clans underneath them. Uh, it seemed very similar to that, especially when Dave started mentioning the King's Guard and all that stuff. Yeah, definitely but, very defined. Jim, I fi- again, I find this to be, you know, as far as the Star Wars universe goes, obviously we have so many different species and, and, and races and all of that, but as far as the Star Wars universe is concerned, this is probably one of the most complex or as I say, you know, well-defined culture in in the whole uh, galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to say, I mean, what, what's the competition? Tusken Raiders? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Can't wait for that episode. But isn't it interesting? Like, they don't make really any great effort to um, give you a sense of the whole culture of a particular uh race uh, of aliens uh, but boy th- these mandalorians my goodness we need to know everything yeah it sure seems that way well now i think it's important to the show because of the fact that sabine is part of the ghost crew so uh, they have to kind of get into her past a little bit and and by doing so i think you're revealing more information about the mandalorian culture now i in one who sort of preferred the way that the Mandalorians were depicted in the Clone Wars. I I enjoyed the, uh, the fact that on one side you had Mandalorians who were striving to 
live a lifestyle of pacifism. And then on the other side of the coin, you had Mandalorians, the Death Watch, who were committed to the, their what, what would uh, they were, they, always say? John Favreau, the, our yeah. warrior ways, the warrior ways. That's right, we're warriors. And so, um, <laughs> I, 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 but I like that the fact that there was there was the friction between the two aspects of their culture, and. You know, the thing that is so easy with Star Wars is just to define singular cultures in one individual way, right. you know. Yes, um, yes, yes. And so I like the fact that you can have a culture that's going in different directions. And because of that, it, it, it causes a schism within the, their, their, the fabric of their society. So I, I always thought that that was very compelling. And I think a lot of um, old school Mandalorian fans freaked out because they they failed to dig beneath the surface and really understand what was going on there. Because you had that tradition being upheld by the Death Watch. Now we learn that there's more splinter groups of the of the Mandalorian society, and you have these elite warriors called the Protectors, and they're off in Concord Dawn, and that goes way back to really early EU stuff. Um, it was. Uh, in, in, in the original Star Wars character guide that came out, gosh, in the late 90s, written by Andy Mangles, he gave some background to Boba Fett's character and said that Boba Fett was a former protector, a Mandalorian protector of Concord Dawn. That was he was he was known as is is um, what did it say in that book that he was like the champion of the battle of Concord Dawn things along that line. And then of course, as the Boba Fett uh, uh, history sort of got laid into stone by Lucas through things like attack of the clones and then the clone wars, um, a lot of that stuff was, was deemed uh, inaccurate, but now they're trying to fit it all into the Mandalorian culture in some way, shape or form. And uh, and I, I appreciate that and everything. Um, this time, it, Boba Fett has nothing to do with it. And I found that these Mandalores in Rebels, really the only connection they have outside of being these warriors who deal with things like loyalty and honor and all that and all the zimzams. Uh, <laughs> these guys, the only, the only connection they really have to the Mandalorians we know were the Helmets. That was about it. That was about it. I felt that the way that Mandalorians were shown in throughout the entire run of the Clone Wars, I felt a much more rich and mm-hmm. vibrant history to them. And I, I, I felt like, you know, a character like Pre Vizsla, I mean, the, the character you have here. In Rebels, um, Finn Ra, Rao, Ra, Ra. I think it's Ra. Just yeah, Finn Ra. Finn Ra. I think he he really lacks in comparison to a great warrior like like Pre Vizsla. He had that amazing dark saber, and he felt more like a traditional Mandalorian warrior to me. You know, with the backpack and the gadgets on his in his gear and stuff you yes. you had none of that none of that you're you're right there were no gosh there were no backpacks no backpacks they weren't no flying backpacks. around i mean i think about the the, the the one episode 
when the, the the you know what when the sugar hits the fan and uh they st- Obi-Wan steps out I think it's Obi-Wan and there's that just brilliant brilliant shot in the clone wars of the Mandalorians fighting and you know yes. in in air and just uh, but you're right there was a richness to the culture but could we say Tyler are we looking at uh, a a culture that has become very stagnant under imperial rule? I think they're definitely being suppressed from the way that they used to be, obviously, especially with the pacifism. Um, I think it, it's slightly confusing to me, the way that the Mandalorians are portrayed in this episode, even though I enjoyed it, because uh, Fen Ra, I believe, refers to Death Watch as traitors, but they sort of act very similar to me, very warrior-ish when Sabine like runs in and confronts them. That might just be because Sabine comes from a line of Death Watch family members. Um, And that was revealed in this episode mm -hmm. that her mother was a member of Death Watch. So who do you think her mother is? Uh, I think I don't think it's like Bo-Katan or anything. You don't? No, I think it's going to be like a random random character. If you look at the scene, there's a lot of female members of Death Watch in the room when Maul kills Pre Vizsla. I think it's going to be some random no-name character that they're going to write three or four comics about and try and tie it all in. I don't think you're going to end up seeing Sabine's mom in it hmm. or in Rebels in the future. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she's- I think Dave. I think Dave says on Recon just something like she was probably there. Yeah, she, he said he, <laughs> when he said Darth Maul <laughs> killed previously. She was there. <laughs> he said he likes to think that she was in the room. Yeah, right. That's right. I like quote. to think she was there. Right. So, uh, but Jim, I, I immediate until I saw Recon, I thought, okay, so here we go. She's going to be uh, Bo Katan's uh, daughter, um, because everybody, you know, in Star Wars has to be related. It's a, yeah. It's so. And so Bo Katan, Bo Katan is from uh, Clan Katan, not Clan Ren. So that's more evidence that she's not. Well, maybe her father was a Ren and her mother was a Catan. (laughs) What do you want? (laughs) Oh my goodness! Um, So okay, so we have Sabine, or excuse me, we have um, Hera in this episode. She thinks that she can win these guys over. She so obviously. Great. What's that? That worked out great for her. Yeah, how'd that work out for you, Hera? Not so great. But she did get a new character model. She got the in-bed version. <laughs> um, nice. You know, with the little nightgown. It probably, you know, has no back to it. You know how those those gowns are in the hospital. Jeez. Um, well, yeah, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying. I know what you're talking about. Uh, but uh, she thinks the best, and she thinks that she's going to be able to win him over. And, I mean, it's a pretty brutal uh battle and i mean there's not really not much of a battle to it i mean it's just it's an annihilation uh fen Ra and the the protectors you know opening that total can on on harris little uh fleet um but you're, you're you're right tyler i i i have to give you props for pointing out the fact that even though they claim that they are uh enemies of the house of is it a house or the clan the house is above the clan right Clan is within uh, the house. Yeah, clan is within the house, and then the house, I believe, is headed by a protector who is basically the king's guard to the leader of Mandalore. There you go. That's it. That's what the man said. So despite the fact that they're enemies, you're right. They act very similarly. I mean, completely unprovoked. They just attack 
these folks um, as soon as they appear in their airspace. Yeah, uh, but it, it's it's not unprovoked though, because what they reveal is the fact that they are loyal to the Empire. And so as soon as Hera says, I'm with the Rebellion, they open fire. I don't really think it's even that they're loyal to the Empire. It's just that he had no future experience, like, interaction with the Rebels. And at the end, when they ended up letting the Rebels pass through their system, it's because the Rebels show that they were worthy of fighting them, I think. It was them displaying strength. It wasn't all of a sudden him saying, you know what, the... uh, the Empire kind of sucks. Let's go for the Rebels. I mean, he's a prisoner. He's not joining the round table on, in, like, Team Rebels. Well, uh, Jim, is it hard for you to imagine what we know of the, the Mandalorians of them just laying down for the Empire? No. No? Um, no. Because if they do so to maintain their independence, then, then it makes sense to me. As long as they don't cross the Empire, then the Empire won't mess with them, is what I'm presuming. Yeah, that seems to be kind of the, the way that the, the arrangement that they have, right? Is you don't mess with us, we don't mess with you too much. So to say that I said that they were loyal to the Empire, maybe, maybe loyal is not the right word to use, but they respect the Empire, and if if someone from the rebellion is going to present themselves within their system, they're going to chase them out because they don't want the empire then to come down on their system for harboring a rebel or 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 being presumed to be rebel sympathizers. But I could have sworn I heard Sabine say, and Sabine, my God, does she just talk so much? Um, I. <laughs> Guys, I'm not feeling it with Sabine tonight. I'm not. You're not feeling it. I when you match up Sabine with real Mandalorians, I never, I never can accept Sabine as being cut from the same cloth as the Mandalorians we have seen previously in Star Wars films or animation. Is it because she's a girl? No, not at all. Because I enjoyed, I enjoyed Bo Katan very much. It's because of the fact that Sabine is a character does not fit within the Star Wars universe at all. And I'm really beginning to feel that more and more. The more I see her, the less I want to see of her. And I'm sorry if I'm being harsh that way, but that's just it became very painfully obvious to me in this episode. Okay. well, get a little get a little bit more specific. What 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 was the moment when you said Wait a minute, this just this just doesn't fit. When she does when she calls for the challenge? Well, the challenge is really yes, that is what pushed it over the top. Challenge is awful. Her her whole just in your face attitude leading up to her sneaking onto the ship with Kanan to go meet up with the Mandalorians, uh, I thought was off putting. Uh I, I've grown a little tired of her sulking. Um and uh, and just when you place her with within the realm of those w- around those Mandalorians, she feels nothing like any of them. Hmm. She feels nothing like any Mandalorian we've ever seen hmm. before or after. <laughs> just nothing about Sabine right now is fitting into Star Wars at all with me. 
I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, God, I didn't want to bring this up on this show because I was, <laughs> I was feeling just so cranky this evening before we started recording. But I, I feel great now. Wow, it's out. That, it's I out there. It's out. It's out. There's nothing I can He's do free. about it. He's and, free. And, and, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm at a point right now where I don't want to see Sabine Wren ever again. Wow. Oh, I oh, wow. disagree a lot. I, I don't like. I don't like the character at all. Everything happens so easily for her. Whenever she is placed within a conflict, she comes out on top by snapping her fingers. It feels like to me. There's never any challenges. And then when I'm I'm supposed to like feel for this character, I, I think she she acts tortured and things like that. I, a lot of that falls real flat with Just me, a little too. Emo, a little too not, emo for you, Jim? I am not connecting <laughs> with Sabine Wren after one and a half seasons of Star Wars Rebels. I can say that. Right. I am Tyler, not connecting Tyler, the character at disagrees. all. Uh, I wanna, Tyler, I want to hear from you. So you, you, She's working for you. Uh, this was the first episode that actually made me uh, care about Sabine at all. It may, I think making her come from the lineage of Death Watch was the best thing that they could have done to make her character interesting. This was the first episode where I actually believed that she was Mandalorian because she actually talked about it. She so she showed that she was a Mandalorian with initiating the the uh, the confrontation, the battle between her and uh, Fen Ra. And really the only gripe I had with her this episode was their standoff. I don't understand how she was able to defeat Fen Ra in a duel like that, because Fen Ra, like they recanonized that the Mandalorians helped train the clone war- warriors, and out of nowhere, Sabine just like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm back, fellow Mandalorians. Watch me defeat the Protector, who is one of the greatest of the Mandalorians that we've already already exactly. established in this episode. But it made me interested in her character. So if they keep going down the path with, it her made you becoming- interested in the character. It made me sit back and go, oh please, yeah. He she shot the gun out of his hand. That is one of the oldest, lamest cliches that have been going on in in storytelling, going back to the old westerns. Well, there were so many old western like <laughs> Easter oh, eggs. The whole thing. This. You yeah, heard the absolutely. old western, yeah, like, right. I mean, the whole chime thing. when the sitting at the bar with the beer. It, it it was very old western inspired. I mean, what would you rather have them do with Sabine's character besides just take her completely out of the show? I say. Put her in the hyperspace. <laughs> well, okay. I, 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 I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna go so far as to say that she doesn't work. For, for me, she does work. I like her. I see why. You know, they they in, have included her in the in the show. I will tell you, Jim, that you you hit a nerve with me because you mentioned that everything is very easy for her. Here we see uh, Hera, one of the best pilots. Uh, in the galaxy, perhaps, and we see her uh, uh, disabled and injured. We've seen Kanan uh, captured and tortured. We've seen Ezra captured many times. We've seen Zeb beat up. We've seen everybody kind of get the tar, get the stuffings out of them, and she's kind of got this almost James Bond-like quality where she's you know never really in danger. Ever. Everything comes so easily for her. And, um, you know, I just find it hard to believe. I just really have a, a hard time swallowing it. And um, 
I, you know, I, I'm doing a very poor job articulating it too because I, I'm dealing with raw emotions that I felt after watching this episode prior to us recording tonight. And I watched the episode three times. And it just seemed like with every time I was able to anticipate her dialogue. And I just felt that when the character was delivering a line, it just, there's something just. Uh, gosh, guys, you're, you're catching me when I'm at a loss for words, which is a strange feeling for me. But <laughs> well, um, I, I, I mean, what, what can I say? It, it, the only thing I can say is just as a Star Wars fan for almost 40 years, this is a character I just don't like. I don't think it fits. It does not fit the scheme of Star Wars. If it does not fit, you must. I mean, she is, she gets motivated by the dark. <laughs> she gets motivated by her her aggression and and arrogance almost a lot. And I well, find that very to Mandalorian. Be, I find that to be off putting, though. I, I I can't root for a character like that. Well, I, and then and then she comes to terms. I, Tyler's right, though. I, it is it is very Mandalorian. I mean, that arrogance, that 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 confidence in her warrior ways. Um, <laughs> but when was she ever a warrior? That's the other thing about her too. Is she has this this expansive past, this expansive and mysterious past. Well, she, 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 imperi- she was trained by the Imperial Academy. So when was she ever a Mandalorian? When was she ever one? Kindergarten. <laughs> if she was trained by the Empire, when did she ever serve for the Mandalorians? When do we know the age that she was in the Imperial Academy? Or do we just oh know God, she, she must have been, you know, 10, 11 years old? I mean, I, we're, we're assuming that she's, what, late teens? I think, I think she's like 17 or 18. Yeah, she's not much older than Ezra. Well, how about I run this by you? And this is me reaching a lot. She, knows that, her, <laughs> she knows that her mom was in Death Watch. At the end of the uh, comic, Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, the last you see of Darth Maul is him escaping with Death Watch. In the trailer, you see that Darth Maul is by himself. Is it possible that she was born in between Darth Maul becoming Old Master and Darth Maul escaping at the end of the comic? So maybe she interacted with Darth Maul or she was around when her family was still a part of Death Watch. And then maybe they got wiped out and then she ended up just being forced into the Imperial Academy because she had no family left. Maybe when she was a little kid, she was a part of Death Watcher, had the Mandalorian ways, and then she was shuffled into the Imperial Academy. Maybe I would like Satine a little bit if the creators of this show took her character a little more seriously. And, and, and maybe if she could act like a little bit more of an adult and lose the blue hair, lose the obnoxious, spray-painted, skateboard-esque looking armor that she wears – Maybe if they let her grow up a little bit, that would be nice. That would be a refreshing change of pace for this character. Okay. All right. Um, See, I'm afraid that I've opened this can of worms now, that whenever Sabine is is on the show, I am going to be – people are going to be waiting for me just to rip on her, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I just really feel like I'm coming to a conclusion on this character after a year and a half of – being patient and being accepting to a point, I, I, I've, I think I, I've reached my boiling point with, with, with the character. I just feel like she doesn't feel like Star Wars. What I find, what, I'll tell you what I find interesting is it seems as though 
nothing that Sabine does with the challenge or 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 any of that really impresses uh, Fenra all that much. It's actually it's actually Kanan that ends up impressing him to the point where he feels that they might be uh, worthy allies, though he's he, he's begrudging about the decision. Um, certainly, he knows that uh, uh, if he if, if it seems as though he makes the connection that if the Empire sees or believes that the rebels are interested in Concord Dawn, that the Imperial presence will increase. And that's something that Fenra uh, doesn't want because that, you know, obviously the the uh, the Mandalorians are very independent. They uh, they don't want to be, um, you know, a, really a priority uh, by the Empire. So the best thing for him to do is just to let the rebels pass through in their hyperspace routes and, you know, to kind of turn the other way. I wouldn't necessarily call them allies would you guys call them allies or is it just something these they're going to hold their nose and do i'm very confused about the relationship between concord dawn mandalorians and the rebels now because it was basically they took fenra prisoner and then fenra said okay yes the rebels can pass through our system but fenra is still just a prisoner i don't understand what their dynamic or relationship is going to be in future episodes, because it wouldn't make sense for Fenra to try and break out and escape and get revenge now that he's shown some. Oh, wait, you're assuming that he's still a prisoner. So I think they yeah, let they, him go. they want, they, he was he, totally a prisoner. Yeah. He walked, well, he, off was. With, uh, he walked up with like chains around his arms or something like that. But what I don't understand is the line. We're only friends because we have to be. Well, it, what, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you. I, Maybe I, because he doesn't want to die. Well, no, I, I'll, I'll restate what I'm saying. I think what he realizes, he doesn't. He cannot make a big to do out of the rebels coming to Concord Dawn, because then the Empire is going to be uh, all over that, like white on rice. Right? They're going to be all over that because they want to capture this rebel cell in particular. So the best thing that 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 Fenra can do is downplay it, not acknowledge it, not alert the, um, the the empire at all to what happened, so that the empire continues to keep Concordon at arm's length. Because if they think that the that the rebels are interested in Concordon and they're sniffing around there, then they're going to increase the security around that system, and that's something they don't want. So that's why he says we're allies because we have to be, we're friends because we have to be. Does that make sense? He still gives them access, though, to their hyperspace lanes and lets them cut through their system. The rebels. He says, you know, don't hold them up. So that's obviously going to cause some friction with the Empire. Yeah. Who will be like, why are you guys, you're harboring rebels. You're offering them safe passage. Well, I don't think they're going to know. I think the idea is to keep that secret that they're using those uh, hyperspace routes. Think that's kind of the idea but yeah but uh then then why even fight with them in the first place you know um i i'll be honest so- i struggled a little bit with this one um it wasn't as uh you know a, a, as straightforward and clean and neat as you know some of the episodes have been but you know they're not all going to be that way i mean i followed it enough to uh, where it made sense now what i what i what we know for sure 
is that this is not going to be the the end of anything in terms of the uh hold on what are we getting here no, we're getting it's my cat <laughs> it's my cat R- rolling all over the keyboard here what does your cat think about sabine my cat my cat would love sabine <laughs> don't you baby yeah all right so <laughs> one thing we know for sure is this is not going to be the, the the final chapter of the mandalorians and rebels uh, pablo hidalgo said on the rebels recon that you know this is something that uh, they're going to continue to uh, address, and it's th- what they're looking at is how the Empire chooses to deal with Mandalore, and how Mandalore and the Mandalorians choose to deal with the uh, the Empire. So, uh, very interesting stuff. I do have a quick question for you guys: Where did we land on the Jango Fett being a Mandalorian? Remember, there was all that controversy. The comment, you know, EU said one thing and Clone Wars said another thing. I cannot remember where we ended up. Is well, he a Mandalorian or not? A lot of people don't want to recognize the truth. But the, the fact of the matter is, he was not a Mandalorian, Jango Fett. He was a, uh, a bounty hunter who was wearing Mandalorian armor. His son, Boba Fett, was not a Mandalorian. He was a clone. And uh, I, I believe, you know, a, a lot of people hate it. They hate it when I bring this up. But to the best of our knowledge, that is the truth because that's the only information we have. And it was revealed by uh, Almec in The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. About, and, about uh, Django. Yes. I, for one, hate it. <laughs> I, I've asked Dave Filoni about this, and he has told me that that should be accepted on face value. Yeah. And it was it was something that came from George Lucas himself. So I, I got a question then. Is this a thing that ba- that bounty hunters uh use Mandalorian armor? Because they accuse Sabine of being a, a, a bounty hunter when she first reveals herself there on Concord Dawn. Maybe Django set the tone. <laughs> you know, and, and, and when they when they see Sabine and she's wearing that defaced Mandalorian armor with all of her kitschy and quirky little paint jobs that she's done to it. Of course, they're going to assume that she's working somewhere in the underworld. What kind of, what kind of legit Mandalorian warrior would do that to his armor? That's an affront to a Mandalorian. Jimmy Mag, I think you and Sabine need to go, you know, have a cup of coffee. Work this really out. Do. Yeah, we have work to iron this out, would you? We have to iron this out. You know, I'm just hoping that the makers of the show give me some legitimate reasons to root for Sabine because I'm failing to find him on my own right now. Yeah. And if I want a Mandalorian on the show, I want someone who's going to represent the Mandalorians as we've known them and not be something like Sabine is. She comes off as being deviant. She comes off as being ag- overly aggressive. And she comes off as being a snotty know-it-all, if you want my honest-to-God truth. That's the way I'm summing up this character after a season and a half. And I think it's fair that I do so. 
All in all, I think Rebels is a great show. I think Tia Sirkar does a great job voicing the character. I just feel that the character on a whole fails to fulfill me as a Star Wars fan because I believe the character seems outside of everything that makes sense in the Star Wars universe. All right. Well, I'm not going to argue with it. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's without, without grounds. I'm not going quite as far as you are because I think there's still a whole lot of story to be told. Uh, but uh, she, I would like to see her a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, yes. Yes. I'd definitely like to see her more vulnerable. All and right. I'm, well, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wide open to seeing this character develop. I want this character to develop. I want to like this character. Yeah. But I'm just not right now. Well, that is going to wrap up our look at episodes 10 and 11 of season two of Princess on Lothal and the Protector of Concord. Don, big thanks to Julie Dolan for joining us. Yes, the voice of Princess Leia. Uh, what a what a what a charming and uh, fabulously talented actress, uh, Julie Dolan. So I'm hoping that we uh, haven't heard the last of her here in Star Wars. And the only actress I can think of to actually beat out Carrie Fisher for the role of Leia. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You know, I one thing I wanted to mention, going back to the trailer real quick, uh, Cham Sindola, so we're going to see Hera's father back in action. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't made an appearance since the Clone Wars, so... He was actually in the Lords of the Sith book. He was, he was one of the main characters of it, actually. So if you like Cham Sindola, go read the book. There you go. Go read the book. Tyler, thanks, man. Thanks for being on the program. Tyler, the intern, does a great job. Thanks for having uh, me. Official Rebel Force Radio group on Facebook. And, yeah, it is a great group of uh, folks. And uh, we pop in from time to time. And it's just, it's positive. It's good vibes and, you know, no trolls. You don't put up with it. No. Come in and join us and uh, we'll talk about Sabine. And maybe Jimmy will drop in. (laughs) You're kind of like our own protector of Concord, Don. I'm not sure about that. You're over there at the uh, at the Facebook group. It's fantastic. All right. Well, thanks again to uh, Audible.com, our sponsor. Go to Audible Podcast. Aud- that's AudiblePodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook trial. If you'd like to be part of the show, you can always email us, show at RebelForceRadio.com. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time here on Rebels Declassified. Unless Jimmy has some final thoughts. Wow, final thoughts on two episodes and an interview and a killer trailer. Um, All I can say is that I I think Rebels is going into some really cool and uh, uh, great places. I'm really looking forward to that showdown with Ahsoka and Vader. Really tantalizing to consider the fact that Maul and Vader might actually have a showdown in a future episode. Um, really enjoyed seeing Princess Leia, finally one of the core three from the original trilogy, make her animated appearance. And, uh, you know, the Mandalorian thing, I, I really got to be honest with you. I, I felt the whole thing felt flat with me. Everything from Sabine to these new Mandalorians. I, I don't think they hold a candle to the, the Mandalorian warriors we saw as they were depicted in the Clone Wars. I certainly hope that story is finally told about how the Jedi did eventually defeat those Mandalorian warriors in the Clone Wars. Um, because I get the feeling that the Mandalorian warriors we're seeing here in Rebels are uh, sloppy seconds at best. Um, 
So I'm taking emails, show at rebelforceradio.com. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's going to be hard for anyone to kind of talk me out of this. I, I have my opinion, and I, I that's just how I feel. The only thing that's going to really change my mind is to see some quality character development for Sabine. And let's stop treating her like she's this arrogant... Uh, she, she, she acts like she's arrogant and entitled, and I don't like seeing that from my Star Wars characters. I want to see her get challenged. I want to see her grow as an adult and stop acting so childish. So uh, that's uh, that's my thought. final thoughts on this episode. Puffer Pig, not neither of them. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.